0: Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Book of Genesis, please. Genesis chapter 29 is where we'll be found. And uh, Genesis 29 and uh, we started a new series here on Sunday mornings last week called Pressure Points and we're going to be examining how to deal with the troubles of life, how we are de- how we are to deal with the pressures that life throws our way. And in fact, last week as we began this series, uh, we we considered the pressure of injustice. And uh, no doubt every single one of us are going to be t- uh, facing times or will face a time uh, where we felt like we have been done unjustly. And uh, But it's in those times that the Lord has given us insight. It's in those times that the Scripture gives us an example on how we ought to respond and how we ought to uh, react in those situations. In fact, uh, the prime example, and how to uh, respond when injustice strikes is—it's uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Himself. He, of course, was unjustly beaten and scourged and crucified on the cross. Uh, but the Bible gives us examples of how he responded, and then we too, uh, how we ought to respond as well. But this morning, I want you to take your Bibles in Genesis 29. We're going to read verses 15 through 18. Genesis 29, verses 15 through 18 to begin. Uh, we'll give a little bit of an introduction, and then we'll talk more about our pressure point this morning. Look at verse number 15 with me, please. And you read silently as I read aloud. It says, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? tell me, what shall thy wages be? And uh, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy youngest daughter. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to to gather together in your house today. Thank you for those who have joined us. Lord, I ask now that you would uh, uh, give me the word to speak as I deliver your word here this morning. Help us to hear from it. Help us to draw closer to you because of it. God, I ask now that you'd be and glorified in everything that is said and done here this morning. And uh, Lord, as we consider the pressures and the, and the turmoils and the troubles that we might face in life, God, I ask now that you would just help us uh, to navigate them and, uh, and address them uh, uh, according to your will and your way. And Lord, we praise you and thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. If you were to uh, go to work tomorrow and you were to walk into the workplace and whether it be that you find a note on your desk or... Uh, maybe you've got a mailbox and, uh, 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 or a, a little area where you get some notes and things or announcements, and you were to find it there. Or maybe even one of your coworkers were to come up to you and to say, uh, uh, say these words. If you found it in a note form, if you uh, had a, a bulletin posted, if, it, if, if a coworker said these words to you, uh, and the, this message was from your boss, he, they said, uh, I need to see you in my office immediately. What do you think is going to be the response to that? What do you think you are immediately going to be thinking if you get that note, or a coworker, or someone tells you you need to go to the boss's office immediately? I can almost guarantee you that your first thought was not, oh, yay, I'm going to get a raise today. I'm sure it probably was not that. What if you were to go into the doctor's uh, this week and were to uh, just go for a regular physical, uh, a, a, an appointment to just as a checkup and things, and as you went in there, the doctor was, you know, they had the stethoscope and they had it on your back or on your chest, and they were listening to you breathe, and they said, take a deep breath, and you, take a deep breath, and okay, exhale, and they did it a couple times, and they said, one more time, take a really deep breath, you take that deep breath, and they say, hmm. Then they grab the chart and look at your, uh, your uh, history and all that and say, hmm. <laughs> they say, let's take your blood pressure, and they put it on, and they take your blood pressure and all that type of thing and say, hmm. I think uh, we ought to make a plan to, to, uh, to schedule a, a test, a schedule an EKG, something along those lines. I can promise you your, your first thought is probably not, oh, this is just part of the procedure. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm sure It's it's Okay. Now, more than likely, in either of this, those scenarios, our mind is going to go to the worst case immediately, probably. And in any of those scenarios, we would probably feel a little insecure about, about what would be taking place after that. Moments like these can bring fear, and they can bring doubt, they can bring worry into our lives. And while it's not something that we, it might not be something we necessarily deal with on a regular basis or a consistent basis... These fears or anxiety or insecurities, I believe, are something that each and every one of us can probably experience sometime in our life, at least occasionally. But here in our text before us in Genesis 29, we're introduced to a young lady named Leah. Now for Leah, these insecurities, for Leah, this anxiety, I have a feeling was probably a part of her everyday life. And to understand why I say that, we need to get a little bit of the backstory, and we need to know where we're beginning and where we're coming from. So I want to invite you to remember back to what we discussed last week, if you were here, and if not, we're just going to explain it a little bit. But we were talking about uh, two individuals, a man named Jacob and a man, his brother named Esau, right? And uh, we talked about the fact that there was some wrongdoing, uh, some injustices in that family. Uh, We know the story though, right? Esau and Jacob were twins, uh, but Esau was the first to come, to be born. Uh, Jacob, of course, followed after. Uh, Jacob, uh, but, um, the, their mother had gotten the word that the oldest would, would, uh, would serve the youngest, and when she heard that, uh, that Isaac was going to be making plans to bless Esau, she said, oh no, uh, I don't see how this is going to take place then. So she helped Jacob deceive his father, Isaac, into the stealing the birthright, right? And so we, we discussed that last week, but we know how that goes out. And he goes in and he takes a meal to his father and he's dressed up and he's got goat's hair on to make him feel like his brother because of how hairy he is and all of that. And, and, uh, and so because of that, Isaac blesses Jacob. Now that causes a riff in the family. Jacob and Esau are, are, are fighting them. No doubt there's problems between the, the parents and the children as well. It got so bad that Esau declared and was dedicated to the fact that he was going to kill his brother Jacob. He said, he deceived me, he stole from me, I'm going to kill him. So guess what? Jacob goes on the run. He's like a fugitive. He's uh, running from his lo- for his life, and no doubt, he, uh, Jacob is number one on the most wanted list for Esau, for sure. And so he's on, his, on the run, and that's where we come to this story here in chapter 29. Jacob finds himself at his uncle's place. His uncle's name is Laban. Laban was Jacob's mother's brother, and uh, so his uncle. And so we find that as he's there, he says, hey, I need a place to hide. I need a place to where hopefully my brother won't find me, that I'll be taken care of, and, and uh, I can just lay low for a little while. In fact, if you'll give me a place to, to live, uh, I'll do some work for you. And so he arranges to do some work for Laban as well. But as we come to the text verses here this morning, the Bible tells us that Laban looks at him and says, hey, your family, if you're going to work for me, it, should be, it shouldn't be for naught." And uh, so uh, what, do you, what would you like to, to receive as your wage, or what would you like to receive in, 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 re, in return for the work that you've done? And we read down, and the Bible says, because Jacob loved Rachel, he tells Laban that he would serve for seven years if Laban would allow Rachel to marry him. And so seven years goes by, and and all this is taking place, and and, uh, now they're making preparation for this extravagant wedding, right? I don't know if it's extravagant or not, but, uh, you know, let's play it up a little bit, right? They get the ceremony ready, and they're playing, making the plans, and they're ready to go, and and uh, so the I do's and the vows and all that that is taking place is done. And, and uh, so Jacob and his new bride, uh, they uh, are going to be able to enjoy their, their honeymoon night. But then the next morning comes along. And to Jacob's surprise, his beautiful new bride is not the beautiful bride he expected to have married. In fact, Laban, the uncle, tricked Jacob into actually marrying his older daughter, Leah. Now, one thing that's messed up is that Jacob loved Rachel, not Leah. Another thing that's messed up, the Bible gives us some insight into this as well, because the Bible says in verse number 17 that Leah was tender-eyed. Can I just put it to you in Laban's terms today? It means this, she was not the prettiest girl on the block. Then it goes on to say about Rachel, though, that she was beautiful and that she was well-favored. So not only was he tricked into marrying someone he didn't love, he was actually tricked into marrying the lesser uh, beautiful of the, of the two daughters as well. So Jacob goes into his uncle and he says, hey, what's the deal here? What's going on? And, and nevertheless, could you imagine being in Leah's position? From the beginning of your introduction in the Bible... You are introduced as the ugly one while your sister the beautiful one. From the beginning, your sister is the one who's favored. Your sister is the one who's popular. The sister is the one who's beautiful. The sister is the one who the man wants to marry. That's That's exactly how she felt, all right? (laughs) Like, it is storm going off in her, in her heart and in her life. She is furious probably as what's going on, but truthfully, listen, could you imagine what she had to live with daily, the thoughts that went through her mind? And all of these things, my friends, are circumstances that were a perfect environment to, pre- to breed anxiety and insecurity in her life. We spoke about the pressure point of injustice last week. But this morning, I'd like to speak about the pressure point of anxiety. Now, before we go any further this morning, I do want to make this statement, make sure we're all on the same page, that anxiety is not something that is super simple to understand all the time. It's just not that simple because it often is misunderstood to be simply a person that is stressing out just too much. They're just over-anxious. They're just stressed out a little too much, and they need to calm down, and and all their anxiety would go away. My friends, listen to me this morning. There is a distinct difference between the sin of anxiety and a mental health issue that is characterized by physical changes within the body. There is a difference. The good thing about this is the fact that whichever, whether it be spiritually uh, uh, formed Or whether it be uh, physically formed, anxiety has answers. Anxiety can you can find help for it as well, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, plaguing the about 40 million people over the ages of 18, or about 18.1 percent of our population annually. As I mentioned, anxiety is treatable, whether it be health-related or spiritually-related as well. But I I am not a doctor this morning, all right? I think you know that. I'm not able to write you a prescription. I'm not able to sit down and and diagnose or anything along those lines. But I do believe that the Scripture gives us answers on how we can attack and how we can deal with anxiety when it comes from the spiritual realm. And that's what we're going to discuss today. I want to encourage you if you feel that anxiety is, is plaguing your life and it might be physical in nature, then to find a licensed physician that can help you through that, no doubt, and, uh, and find the relief and the help that is necessary and capable uh, from that avenue. But I also want to encourage you this morning to pray a prayer, simply something like this today Lord, speak to my heart and don't let me use uh, a physical ailment to be my excuse. To, uh, to ignore the spiritual element in my life. It is true that some people physically, uh, because of imbalances in, in hormones or whatever the case might be, might deal with anxiety in those ways. But don't allow that to be your out to not hearing from the Lord today. And so just pray and ask the Lord to guide you and give you guidance through that. Because I want to say this this morning. When it comes to the spiritual realm and anxiety, at its best, anxiety distracts us from our relationship with God, and it distracts us from the truth that God is the God over heaven and earth, as it says in Matthew eleven twenty-five. At its worst, anxiety is a crippling disease taking over our minds and plunging our thoughts into darkness. And I'm here to submit to you this morning, my friends, that God wants much more from our life than to just have it walk uh, a life that is full of fear and worry and anxiety. And so I believe God gives us insight on how to tackle these things from a spiritual perspective anyways. And so number one this morning, I want you to notice with me the basis of anxiety Like Leah, our anxiety often has specific sources. And as we consider Leah, we find that anxiety had found its way into her heart. Insecurity had found its way into her heart. And no doubt there's ways that it finds its way into our hearts as well. One way through the scripture here this morning, I believe that we see that anxiety plagued uh, Leah's heart was through the concept of fear. Now, listen to me, my friends, this morning. The Bible is clear that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a one of power and of love and of a sound mind. But we find when it comes to Leah, we find that she was fearful about being judged by others. She was fearful about not being accepted by others as well. And we could, we could almost call it like this, the report card syndrome, right? For the kids that are in school and the teenagers over here, if you get straight A's on your report card, guess what? You're going home, you have no problem pulling it out of the book bag and showing it to your parents and showing it off. Now, if you get bad grades, on the other hand, though, it's the last thing that comes out of that book bag. It might not even come out of the book bag at all if you can help it. But the reason for that is because you're concerned with, you, you are labeling yourself based off of what you do or have done instead of considering who you are. And here's, the, here's where it comes spiritually, my friends. When it comes to our lives as Christians, many of us are anxious, many of us are insecure because we've allowed ourselves to find our identity in the things that we do or the things that we don't do, in the way that people accept us or the way that people don't accept us, the way that we're viewed. But can I submit to you this morning that as a Christian, what you do or don't do has no bearing on how much God loves you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know that world that he gave is the same world that as he walked this earth, he looked at them and it's the Bible says that he saw them with compassion, but he saw them with compassion because they were like sheep that had no shepherd, he, the scripture says. They were just going, doing, and, and, and living their life as they pleased and trying to figure it out on their own. They had no guidance, and because of that, they were living in sin. Listen, the Bible tells us that our heart, when left to itself, is deceitful. It's wicked. And no doubt, as we consider those things... If we try to wrap our identity in in who we are and what makes us who we are up in other people or what we do here on this earth, we will always fail. We will always feel like we've missed the mark. But Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. He joys over you, my friends. He is rejoicing over you, my friends. And to be fearful because, oh, I don't know if so-and-so likes me. To be fearful because uh, I might have di- disappointed or, 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 or caused them to be, uh, be upset with me. To be fearful about those things is to be focused solely on what you do or don't do instead of being focused on who you are. If you are in Christ today, you are His child and He loves you and nothing can change His love for you. It's clear in the scripture this morning that Jacob clearly loved Rachel. He loved Rachel, it says. It didn't say that he loved Rachel because she made him good food. It didn't say that he loved Rachel because of this or that. It just declares the fact he loves Rachel. But just as it was clear that he loved Rachel, it was also clear that he didn't love Leah. And because of that, because of the fact that she didn't receive the love that she so longed for, her fear of missing that love caused her to react in certain ways that no doubt would have led to her insecurity and no doubt would have led to her anxiety as well. In fact, if you look at Genesis 29 and verse number 32, the scripture gives us some insight into that. See, Leah, because she felt unloved and she didn't feel like she was accepted, and the fear of not having that acceptance and that love caused her to live her life in such a way that she she sought to find her security in the things that were just temporal. What did she try to find her security in? In having children. Notice what it says in verse number 32 of chapter 29. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Notice what she says next. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. It seems as though Leah didn't have a child just because she wanted to bear children. It seems as though she had a child because she thought that's one way that she could earn the love of Jacob. And fearing missing that love, fearing not receiving that love, Caused her to live and do certain things, to seek security in something that is temporal, that is not lasting. Notice another, as we consider the basis of anxiety, not only fear, but also the feeling of the need to perform, oftentimes can lead us to anxiety as well. Like Leah, like Leah many of us have insecurities or anxiety because we feel like we're on trial on a daily basis. We feel like people are looking at us and, and uh, judging how we're performing and so on and so forth. And Leah no doubt understood the pressure to perform. Because if, Je- if, if, if Rachel is the one that, that he loves, I have to outdo her in order to truly get his affection. I have to do, outdo her to get his attention and get to receive his love. Leah was so desperate to receive that love and to outperform her sister that she gave her handmaiden to Jacob as a wife as well. Notice what the Bible tells us in chapter 30 in verse number nine. Leah saw that she had left bearing, so she wasn't having any other children at that point. And so because of that, she took Zilpah, her mate, and gave her Jacob to wife. Isn't it amazing that when we allow ourselves to focus only on the things that are temporal, when we are only focused on the things that are here and now and how people are accepting us and such, what it will make us do and the decisions that it will allow us to make. And Satan knows that if he can lay a foundation of insecurity and anxiety in our lives, he's already won half the battle. Because if he's got our mind instead of focused on the things of God and how God is providing and how God loves us, then he's already that much closer to causing us to make stupid decisions, bad decisions in our lives, things that could wreck our lives. Notice that when the basis of anxiety we see is fear and the feeling the need to perform, we find the basis of anxiety oftentimes is because of false comparisons also. What kind of comparisons were taking place in that family, no doubt? Leah comparing herself to, to her, her, her sister and comparing her looks to her sister and so on and so forth. But not only that, why was she, why was she led to, to compare in that way? Well, from the get-go, when she wakes up after the, the wedding, the very next day, Jacob's shocked to find that it's her instead of Rachel. And what does Jacob do? he runs immediately to Laban and says, what's the deal, man? So Jacob's comparing her to Rachel. Consider Laban as well. Right off the bat, the Bible tells us that it was known that Leah was not as pretty, but Rachel was beautiful. But then on top of that, consider what her father has just done. Her father has just taken her put a veil over her face so she won't be seen, tricked Jacob into marrying her as if to say, well, compared to your sister, you have no chance of getting married unless I intervene. And so she's being compared to others by others. So then she's comparing herself to others as uh, as well. And uh, notice what verses 23 and 25 say of chapter 29. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him and went in unto her and came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore hast, then hast thou beguiled me? Knowing that she wasn't accepted by her father, knowing that she wasn't accepted by her own husband now, deeply wounded Leah. Our children pick up on differences of treatment. We pick up on how we're treated differently as well. And when we, when we demand uh, that, uh, well, why aren't you like so-and-so? Why don't you enjoy these things? Why aren't you as smart at... You see where I'm coming from this morning? We just unwisely and falsely compared one to another. And it leads to us then uh, comparing to others as well. Can I remind you what the Scripture warns about comparison? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 12, it says, "We, uh, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. To compare, to, uh, to falsely co- uh, compare uh, yourself with someone else, is the scripture says, just as simply not wise. Imagine how Leah had to feel every time that she was measured against her sister. Every time she was measured against some thought of a, how she ought to be. It's an unfortunate thing, and, and, and let me just state this as well. When you read the Bible, you need to understand where it is prescriptive or descriptive. The Bible gives us some description about things, but it doesn't mean that's how it ought to be. It's just a matter of fact, that's how it was. And one of the descriptive portions of Scripture is the fact that in the Bible times, Many times, women were treated more like possessions than partners. That is not to say that is how the Bible is prescribing marriages should be, my friends. It is saying that that is describing how it was. Can you remember that in those days, it was still a sinful mankind that was living at that time as well? And just because the Lord included a description of how things were does not mean that He's prescribed for us to act that way today. Everybody on the same page there? That's free this morning. You can take that home as, uh, as extra. But, se- but I want you to notice this, that as they were treated in such a way if they if they were abandoned, they were no good except for if they were to return to their father. So if Jacob would have abandoned Leah, the only worst she had was to go back to Laban. Well, Laban has already mistreated her as well. So it's like a no-win situation, no-win circumstance for Leah as she's going along. So as she's striving to make herself stand out and to be better in comparison to Rachel, we find that she has another child. She had a son, and then a second, and a third, and she eventually has four total. And in essence, it was her way of trying to find security. Even the names that Leah chooses to name her children, give us insight in what she was trying to do. She names her, one of her sons Reuben, which means behold a son. Later, she has a second son named Simeon, which means hearing. And by naming him this, she, she said, it's as if she's saying that the Lord has heard the fact that she had been mistreated, and hopefully now she will be heard. Hopefully now she will be accepted. Notice verse 33 in Genesis 29. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me a son also. And she called his name Simeon. Eventually she would bear a third son. She would name him Levi. And the name Levi means attachment. In essence, she thought that each child that she bare would somehow attach her her life or, or, or Jacob's heart to her life somehow winning favor, somehow getting his attention. Notice verse number 34. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. Leah learned a hard way though, that just because she was doing the things she thought would get attention doesn't mean that was so. Another thing that led or was the basis of her anxiety was that a feasible loss. She was doing all of these things hoping hoping to not lose her husband. She says I don't already, I already don't have his love. But hopefully I don't lose him altogether. Let me ask you a question my friends. Outside of our salvation, is there truly anything that we can't lose? Honestly, anything in our life could be lost. And if we live if we live our life constantly worrying what if I lose this? What if I lose that? What kind of a life is that to live? And that was leading, no doubt, to her anxiety. Can I remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We're focused on, well, I need this, or I have to have this. We've forgotten the fact that Christ has already promised to provide for our every need. And we've seen the basis of anxiety, but secondly, notice the burden of anxiety. For those of you who wear glasses, you ever had maybe taken them off for a period of time or whatever, and then you go put them on, and they're kind of dirty or smudged, kind of foggy, right? Looking, try to look through them. They're, they're dingy. They, they kind of blur your focus. When I was a kid, the uh, state police or somebody was putting on this like safety event and they had, uh, the fire department was there with like one of those smoke houses and they were teaching everybody, you know, to hit the floor and and they they drilled into your mind, you know, if you ever, uh, your clothes catch on fire, what are you supposed to do? Do what? You, you know, as much as they said that when I was a child, you would think that I would have had to use it a whole lot more than I ever have in my life. I don't know, but uh, I mean, everybody knows it. Stop, drop, and roll. They were teaching those types of things, but they were also teaching the importance of uh, abstaining from alcohol and driving. And so they, were, they, they had these crazy goggles. They looked like those old school um, uh, safety goggles, the clear plastic ones, the huge ones, you know what I mean? Uh, but they had these special lenses in them that blurred everything. And so you put them on and you started seeing doubles and triples of things. And then they'd stand you there on this line, this straight line to say, walk it. And uh, so then you're trying to walk in and you're stumbling all over the place and everything. And uh, I don't wear glasses, but those glasses that I put on definitely blurred or messed up my vision. And when you put on dirty glasses, it might skew your vision as well. Can I submit to you this morning that anxiety in our life blurs our vision? It blurs our focus. And we find that that one of the devil's goals is to pull Christians away from what the Lord has planned for them. Pull Christians away from what the Lord has for their life. And in in his arsenal of tools, he loves to pick that of anxiety or insecurity. Because he knows that if he can skew a believer's perspective, it won't be long before he's able to have a little victory here and there. See, Romans 8 and verses 31 through 34 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him uh, up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It, 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 It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Would you let that sink in for a moment? That if God be for us, who can be against us? But doesn't our anxiety, doesn't our insecurity preach a different message to us? Everybody's out to get me. Nobody likes me. I'm a failure at everything. Remember that if you're Christ, God is for us. And therefore, nothing can be against us. But the burden of anxiety can lead us to do some silly things sometimes. Specifically in Leah's life, we see that it led to competition. She she tried to compete with her sister. She tried to make it seem like uh, she was better. And in fact, in verse number eight of Genesis 30, it says, and Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. In In her mind, she thought she had won the battle. In her mind, she thought she had won the victory. In her mind, she thought that because of all the things she'd done, she won and therefore she should win the prize. What was the prize? The heart of her husband, the care, the love and compassion. Did she get it? No, unfortunately she did not but her anxiety and her insecurities made her live in such a way to where she thought that if she fought against her sister, if she competed against her sister, she would earn it. Well, because of the competition, it led to some core relationship problems as well. Talk about a dysfunctional family. If you know anything about this family from Isaac, well, even Abraham. It started with Abraham, right? Abraham, as he's traveling, he goes into Egypt and he tells uh, folks that, hey, uh, this is not my wife, it's actually my sister, so that he's not uh, taken, and uh, he was afraid that they would slay him and kill him uh, and take her and all this type of thing. So he's trying to protect himself and get through it. From then all the way through this family, down into Jacob, then he has 12 sons, and he treats Joseph uh, uh, better than the rest of them, and so on and so forth. All of these things led to some core relationship problems. Galatians 6 and 10 says this, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them of the household of faith. See, instead of competing, instead of bickering and fighting because of the anxiety and such, we ought to instead do good unto all men. Complaining, no doubt, would be part of it. A negative attitude. She, in every situation, every circumstance that we seem to read about Leah, she says, this happened, and maybe if this happens, I'll, get, I'll, I'll be better. But she was, seemed to be never content with what God had done for her. But let me close with this this morning. You say, preacher, I've heard all of this. I've experienced some of this myself, even. I just feel like there's no way out. Let me submit to you this morning, there is a way. And notice with me the breaking of anxiety. Again, I want to remind you that if the anxiety that you are experiencing is physical in nature, it's because of an imbalance of some sort, that you should probably seek a medical professional for help in that way. But I think a lot of us experience times where we're anxious or insecure, not because of a physical ailment, but because we allow our spirit to speak words that aren't true. And there is an answer, and there is a way to break its grip And I'll give a few simple, practical things to help with that. Number one, understand God's purpose. He's got a purpose for your life. Can I share a verse with you out of Psalm 139? Verses 14 and 18 actually say this, I will praise thee, why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy books all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, and as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. You know what those verses are reminding us? You know what the psalmist was trying to get us to understand? Is that God loves us because he created us. So every imperfection, every nasty wart that we think we have, God knows about it and he loves us. He loves every single thing about us. And my friends, that is a sobering thought, is it not? That ought to be an encouraging thought as well. And listen, you say, I just don't, I, I seem to, to mess up. I don't speak well. I seem to always say the wrong things. Do you know that God made you the way you are? You say, I just seem to make silly decisions sometimes and I embarrass myself. You know God made you the way you are? And he loves you and he rejoices over you and he cares for you. God in his infinite knowledge and wisdom knows you personally and he has crafted you for a specific purpose in your life. Listen, my friends, I don't know what God's plan is for every single one of you, but I do know He has one. And one way to combat these insecurities and to combat anxiety in our lives is to remember that God has made you for a purpose. Some of you might be artistic, and so you might paint, you might sculpt or whatever the case might be. But when you have done that masterpiece in your mind or whatever, you might know what is not necessarily, necessarily perfect with it, but it's yours still. It's your creation. You created it. You realize that God created every single one of us. And while we might think that there's imperfection, God never has made any mistakes. And He loves us in spite of where we might not love ourselves. In fact, First John 3 and 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. The fact that He would willingly die for us ought to show how greatly He loves us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that through His poverty you might be rich. Ephesians 1, 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. He accepts us and He loves us, and therefore one way to combat or to battle Anxiety is to understand God's purposes. And also, secondly, claim God's promises. Do you realize that God has a promise that he's made unto you? And if, is, if he's made a promise unto you, it is going to be kept because God cannot lie. That's why Hebrews 13 and 5 says, Let your conversation or your manner of living, your lifestyle, says let your conversation be without covetousness. He said, uh, he said And be thou content with such things as ye have. Why? because he'll never leave you or forsake you. My friends, he's not only not just going to never leave you, but he's also going to provide for every single thing that you need. So as you claim his promises, then also rest in his provision. Could you imagine if uh, I were to send you a text message tomorrow, and I would say, hey, uh, meet me down at Fry's parking lot, uh, and I've got a million dollars for you. (laughs) You laugh because you know I don't have it. You laugh because, yeah, right, you can send me that. I'm not meeting you there because you don't have anything for me. But say you were really close maybe with uh, Bill Gates. Maybe you were a family member of Elon Musk or something along those lines, right? And they were to call or to text you and to say, hey, meet me at Fry's parking lot. I've got a million dollars for you. I bet you're a lot uh, quicker to probably go and meet them there. Why? Because they have the ability to give you what they've promised. Here's the script, the spiritual truth behind that. Our heavenly father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. And he's already promised to provide for you and I. Matthew 6, verses 30 through 32 says, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. He already knows what you need, and he has the power, and he he, 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 he possesses the things able to be able to give it to you, and he's already promised to give you those things as well. And my friends, when we remember and rest in his provision, what a... What a wonderful and overcoming thought that might be. 2 Peter 1 verses 2 through 3 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertaineth unto life and godliness, though the, not, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and to virtue. My friends, this thing of anxiety and insecurity is no doubt real. And every one of us are going to face it at points in our life. Some probably battle it even on a daily basis. But if it is because of a spiritual battle, if it's it's spiritual in nature, I believe God has given us the the recipe or the the antidote and the way to overcome it and to to be able to break free of the chains of anxiety, this pressure point of anxiety. Leah dealt with it. She struggled with these insecurities. She struggled with this anxiety for years. Why? Because her father didn't approve of her. Her husband didn't want her. Her sister looked at her as a competition or a comparison. And We might think, be tempted to think that her circumstances were so insurmountable that she would never find peace. But here's the good thing about it. If you read on, you actually find she did. She was able to overcome these insecurities. She was able to overcome these anxieties. She was able to find peace. Because in her fourth child, she had an, another boy, and she named him Judah. Do you know what the name Judah means? It means peace, or praise, I'm sorry. And look, take your Bibles and look at verse number 35 of chapter 29. It says, and she conceived again, and bare a son, and it says she called him Judah. But notice what it says in between, of all, in between that, all, all those words. Said, she said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and left bearing. See, she had one child and she said, look, a son. Now you'll like me. That didn't work. She had another child and, and said, uh, hey, is that somehow maybe going to attach uh, your heart to mine. That didn't work. Time after time after time after time again, she tried to catch something that was seemingly escaping her. But evidently, she finally came to a place where she said, realized that, well, Jacob might not want me. My father might have mistreated me, and all of my works might have seemed to failed. But I praise God because he still loves me. And because of that, she named her child uh, Judah and said, I will praise the Lord. Now fast forward thousands of years to a baby born in Bethlehem. Matthew 2 and 6 says, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor and shall rule my people Israel. Leah could have gotten down in the dumps. Leah could have thrown a pity party, and she could have wallowed in that anxiety and insecurity. But somewhere along the way, she realized that God had a plan. She began to, to just trust His promises and rest in His provision and said, I'm giving up all these other things that are making me anxious and worry and and, self-conscious and insecure. I'm just giving it all to God. I'm trusting Him. And guess what is found to be later on in the story? That our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a result of the tribe, result of the offspring of the final child, where she said, I praise God in spite of everything amazing story. What an amazing, what an amazing work that God did in Leah's life. You say, well, yeah, that's the Bible. That's how God works. He doesn't work that way in my life. But really? Is not our God the same yesterday, today, and forever? It's a pressure we'll face. Some might need even to face, find some medical help to be able to face it as well. But for the believer... If it's a spiritual battle, I believe the Scripture has given us some answers in a a way to attack or to break, I should say rather, from these chains, this pressure of anxiety that might plague us. Could you stand to your feet with me, please? If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes.